It's the Opperman Report. Join digital forensic investigator and PI Ed Opperman for an in-depth discussion of conspiracy theories, strategy of New World Order resistance, high-profile court cases in the news, and interviews with expert guests and authors on these topics and more. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator Ed Opperman. Okay, welcome to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator Ed Opperman, and this show is brought to you by emailrevealer.com. Now, you can go to emailrevealer.com, get an autographed copy of my book, How to Become a Successful Private Investigator. Or if you think, uh, you know, your wife is cheating on you, your boyfriend, your girlfriend's cheating on you, you send us their email address. We trace it back to online dating websites and catch them cheating online. Of course, all kinds of stuff too, like locates and background reports, any kind of stuff you might need from a private investigator at emailrevealer.com. Okay. We, I have today, I have a guest for you today that uh, whether or not you, you think you know him, everybody knows this guy. Everybody on the face of the earth knows this guy. <laughs> okay, his name is Scotty Schwartz. He was a child actor and uh, one of the most iconic child actors in the history of child acting. Uh, Scotty, uh, Scott Schultz, are you there? I am here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Tell us about yourself. Who is Scott Schultz? Who is Scott Schwartz? Well, uh, how did I start that? I was a kid actor from New Jersey. You know, I got a couple of movies, uh, The Toy with Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason, and I got Christmas Story, and I was a regular kid. I bowled out a 175 average. I could shoot hoops. I could play baseball, and Hollywood came calling. Hey, so when you were in The Toy, how old were you? Uh, 13, 14. I had my birthday while we were shooting. It was phenomenal. Oh, really? Okay, then you, you were old enough to appreciate what was going on. Oh, sure. I knew who Richard Pryor was. I knew who Jackie Gleason was. I know who Richard Donner was. I knew who Ray Stark was. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, Ned Beatty. Uh, we had an incredible uh, Tony Burton, who uh, he's only in one scene where Richard is in the little gymnasium thing toward the beginning. But he was he played Duke, Apollo Creed's manager in Rocky. I mean, of course, I know who he was. OK, so uh, I have a, a pretty extensive film background, even as a youngster. My dad loved film, so I love film. And so that was before Hollywood came calling. Okay, but but in the film though, in the toy, you were supposed to portray a child that was much younger than thirteen. Am I right? Yeah, I mean they don't really say. I think I was supposed to be around ten or eleven, something okay. like that. Listen, I I was always short. I was always small. Um, I did an off Broadway show. I was eleven. They told everybody when they did the press stuff that I was eight and I was playing six. Okay, right, right. And, and what came first, the toy or the uh, 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 Christmas story? No, the toy was the first film I got. Then I did a film for 20th Century Fox called Kid Co. And then I did Christmas story after that. Okay, now back to the toy. Uh, Richard Pryor, that must have been like, a, I, I read in your IMDb that uh, he had a big effect on your life. Uh, from the first day I met him. He, he was my friend, my muse, my go-to guy. Uh, probably one of the most just incredible human beings I've ever met. Uh, the most selfless person I've ever met. You know, it wasn't uh, about him. It was about what joy or smile or information or something else that he could give you to, to help you advance your life and become a smarter person and a more intelligent person. Just 
a never ending flow of information came from him. Yeah, you know, you get that impression with Richard Pryor, a brilliant genius, of course. Uh, I've become friends with his son, Richard Pryor Jr. Uh, did you get a chance uh, to meet him on the set? You know, I don't think I actually met Junior on the set. I, I'm pretty sure I met Rain, his daughter. Right. And it was another daughter that came and visited the set. Um, and Rain and I have been friends for decades. Uh, and Junior and I, we talk to each other on Facebook once in a while and say hi and stuff like that. But uh, just not, there were two Richards. I mean, you know, uh, he had the, the drug phase that he went through and, and him burning himself up. And then he became a different person. He became, you know, from what I've gathered from, from everybody, um, he really wanted to be a different person. He wanted to be somebody who was giving and caring and loving and sharing and, you know, all the wonderful qualities that, that most people want to be, but he was. And, and what was the timeline there in the period when you were doing the film with him? Was, was that his drug period or, or after? No, I came, I was after. We shot after, you know, so I got, I got the, the, the greatest version of him ever. Okay, great. And oh, that's great. And then did you stay in touch with him over the years? I was friends with him from the day I met him until the day he passed. Wow, man. What a, what a, what a, what a, what you know, a life, man. <laughs> you know, Listen, there was, there, there was only a small window. Um, they had, he had closed his production company. He had moved. Uh, his number in Hawaii changed. I had his house numbers. I had his office number. I had the Hawaii house number. And uh, they went through a changeover period, and I was still in New Jersey. And, of course, back then there's no email, no texting, none right. of that stuff. You know, we'd have cell phones, really. Um, and I came out to California, and I probably hadn't talked to him in about a year and a half or so. And uh, the way I say it is, I put out an APB on Richard Pryor. Anybody sees Richard, you got to call me. And one of the guys uh, that worked at the comedy store at the time called me one night and said, hey, Richard just got here. He's in the original room. And I said, okay, I'll be right there. And uh, within like 17 minutes, I was there and he was still there. And uh, he was back by the, the booth where, you know, you came in the entrance way. And he was sort of in, in a little bit toward the back. So it was dark and, you know, he didn't really want people to come over and, you know, oh, my God, it's Richard Pryor and all that stuff. And uh, actually walked next to him and he didn't even he had no idea it was me. And uh, the comedian that was up there finished and whatever. And I kind of nudged him and I said, you know what, man, they'll just let you in anywhere, won't they? And he looked down and that was it. You know, he smiled and gave me a hug and a kiss. And we ended up going out to dinner after that night at, at Mel's Diner on Sunset and spent three hours yapping until the, the early morning. And then I went to his house and we kept talking. Yeah, sure. Because for him, see, now you're, you're his age. You know what I mean? Now you're, you know what I mean? And when you see a kid like that, you meet a kid when he's a little kid and he's all grown up. You know, it's like, a, that's a, that's a well, big deal. Yeah. I, I was, you know, we shot the film when I was 14 and now yeah. we're talking about, you know, I was 17 and driving. And, right. You know, not fully what you would consider an adult age-wise, but, but mentally, uh, I had done enough things and gone enough places, and, and I knew how to handle myself. And so now we were speaking on different levels. It was just, it was just an incredible time. 
Hey, now, now, what about wasn't there some issues with the with Richard Pryor with like one of his wives or ex wives or something like that, kind of, of uh, manipulating or controlling him? Any, you know anything about that? Controlling him? Yeah, not at that time. Okay, not at that time. I mean, listen, let's you know, toward the end, you know, the last couple of years, um, the MS really kicked in, and uh, his his wife Jennifer uh, took charge of everything. You know, I mean, he had to have rehab and he had to have nurses and doctors and, you know, all of the things that um, somebody has when they go through MS. And, uh, you know, last few years, you know, there was no communication, no movement, except his eyes, basically, because that's what MS does. It affects every muscle in the body other than the brain. Mm. So he basically became a prisoner in his own body, which is very, very sad. I mean, it was just, it was heart wrenching to go and see him and talk to him. And he couldn't reply. He couldn't respond. You know, every so often you got a little, a little glimmer of a smile, you know, and he'd look at you, you know, blink his eyes and stuff. So he knew you were there, but there was no response. Oh boy. Yeah. That must've been tough, huh? Yeah. You know, uh, I went there knowing uh, what I was getting myself into. And at the same time, I knew what the man had done for me in my life, how he changed my life, how he improved my life, how he impacted my life. And if it was a, a half an hour visit or an hour visit to give him and show him some love and some kindness, it's the smallest thing I could, I could do. Yeah, you, you got to show your respect, you know, especially uh, now with the a Christmas story. You were saying uh, off the air because you got you got these events coming up. You got Winter Con coming up in Jamaica, Queens. That's this weekend, right? Saturday. Uh, yes, Saturday and Sunday out out in Jamaica. Um, yes, yeah, New York Winter Con. Um, uh, it's in Jamaica here. I'm gonna. Uh, it is at the. Oh, I gotta bring it up. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, they're having a Blade Runner reunion. It's at the Resort World Casino. Resort. That's, that's the official title of it and where it is. Um, but yeah, it's out. Uh, it's out. I believe in Queens. Yeah. And then the next got uh, Rutger Hauer and Joanna Cassidy and Sean Young from Blade Runner. Um, Gil Gerard uh, from. Uh, uh, Buck Rogers and and Felix Silva, Barbara Luna from Star Trek, and you know Kathy Najimy from uh, Sister Act. You know, so it'll it'll be a fun show. And then you got another one at Steel City and uh, Comic Con coming up in Pittsburgh. Steel City Comic Con in Pittsburgh. Um, that one, it's it's um, uh, at the. I gotta always pronounce the town right. The Mooresville Convention Center, Monroeville, Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Okay. And it's got Richard Dreyfus and uh, the Phillips twins from or the Phillips twins from uh, Harry Potter, uh, Jeff Gilliam. Uh, oh God, there's a Brent Spiner who I love to death. Great guy from Star Trek and Jonathan Frakes, Lavar Burton, Diamond Dallas Page from WWE and, and, and WCW. Tom Wilson, back a bit from Back to the Future, Barbara Hershey, Stephen Weber. It's a packed show. 
Yeah, that sounds great. That's, a, that's a Monroeville. How much would that cost? Yeah. How much would it cost to get into something like that? I think it's around twenty, twenty-five bucks, twenty-five bucks. I think it's something like that. And then do you have events too. What goes on when you get there? Uh, it's basically a large meet and greet for us. You know, people come up, they want to talk, they want to take a picture, get an autograph. Uh, but there's always vendors. You know, people can find stuff there, Christmas presents, whatever, birthday gifts. You know, there's always. Uh, Merchandise up the wazoo, as I say. Right, right. Now, and uh, you say, you know, this time of year, because you were in the iconic movie, A Christmas Story. Uh, you play the younger brother, right? No, I played Flick, who got his tongue stuck to the pole. Yeah, I know you, you got your stu- uh, tongue stuck to the pole. That's obvious. <laughs> okay, that's, you know, uh, but uh, what, you weren't uh, um, uh, uh, Peter Billingsley's younger brother? No. No, that's that's Randy. His name is Ian Petrella. Okay, then then who was Flick then? I'm with one of the friends. I'm his friend. Oh, just one of the friends. Okay, yeah. And, and uh, yeah. so iconically, you know, you stuck your tongue, and everybody knows this scene. Everybody in the world, uh, people must come up to you about this all the time, right? I do get it quite a bit. Not not every single day, but yes. <laughs> is there anybody on earth that doesn't know that scene? You know what? There are people who've never seen the movie. Uh, there are people who just say, you know what, I saw it a couple times and it's just not for me. I don't, you know, just, uh, you know, they, they just, they don't get it or they don't understand it, which is fine. I mean, that, yeah. that's, I don't take it as a dig or anything else. You know, everybody has their own taste. You know, there are people that love, you know, gory horror movies. I did as a teenager. Now I'm, I'm past that stage. You know, uh, there are people who love sci-fi. There are people that don't like Star Wars. You know, there are people that don't like Avengers that that's. That's everybody's uh, God-given will to say, you know what? That's just not my cup of tea. It's okay. Yeah, but like even that scene, I've seen it on the news. Like they've showed, they've showed a clip of that movie. And by oh. the way, that's always like the clip from the movie that they always show, right? Uh huh. Yeah, I tell you, man. Uh, you know, so there, but there's got to be a hundred million people that have seen that scene. Well, that that I would, that's probably more than that at this point. I yeah, mean, it's it's seen by over fifty million homes. Something between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Yeah, I watch it every year. I watch it every year. So then, uh, what, what was it like growing up as a, a, a teenager in, in Hollywood? Uh, you know, I would have no, absolutely no idea because I didn't grow up in Hollywood. I grew up in New Jersey. Okay, so you, you, you know, so you, I, I didn't, I didn't move out to California until I was past high school already. You know, I had a, a pretty normal, I guess you would call it, upbringing in a, in a nice suburban house in, in central New Jersey, uh, Bridgewater, New Jersey. I say hello to all my Bridgewater Raritan High School West peeps that I that I went to school with, um, you know, and, and they kept me pretty level headed and pretty grounded. And, uh, you know, I had I had a good group, core group of friends, and I'm still friends with them to this day. When you were living in Jersey, were there any problems with teasing or stuff like that? Kids busting your chops because you were the toy? Oh, sure. Oh, no. I got, uh, you know, we see there's a great uh, word, teasing. Teasing has now become bullying. Right. You see. So the the word teasing has kind of gone out the window because of the politically correct nonsense. But um, I got bullied. I got shoved. I got pushed into lockers, thrown in garbage containers, you know, from, from. one specific guy in particular who, you know, if he was in jail, I probably would pay the other guys to beat the hell out of him. But, um, you know, he, he, he kicked my ass from, uh, oh, God, probably seventh grade on, you know, when I was there. Um, 
but you know, I mean, I faced it and dealt with it and, and, and didn't run home to mama. You know, I kind of stood on my own and I had a lot of friends that, uh, that stood beside me, you know, and they weren't there because I was the movie star. They were there because they were my friends. I knew most of them since between second, third, fifth, sixth grade. And the movies came later. So, you know, they were genuine friends as they still are, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there were kids. Absolutely. That, that tore me a new behind because I was on TV. I was on commercials and then I did Broadway and all this stuff. And, you know, they had their own insecurities and their own jealousy things and they took it out on me. Yeah, but I guess those those same guys they were probably abusing some other kids too as well, you know, because they they got their own issues. It caused them to act out in those kind of ways, uh, you know. They you could, know, probably. Yeah, I I yeah. just have no idea. I yeah. mean, I can just tell you that uh, you know, I I while I had a wonderful childhood overall, you know, there yeah. were a few things that uh, that took place, but uh, you know, I I had a good core group. And I had fun. I mean, I played basketball, baseball, bowling, you know, uh, uh, baseball, basketball, football, bowling. Those are my sports. I've, I've never been a good tennis player. I took up golf later. But, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it, it rounded me as a child to uh, be able to communicate, be able to play on a team, be able to do things with people. And, uh, you know, I just... Uh, Somehow I fought my way through it. Yeah. And now when you're on the East Coast, were you still involved in acting, plays, and stuff like that, commercials? Sure. Sure. I, I did over 100 commercials. I did Broadway, off-Broadway. You know, the movies that I got were all cast out of New York. My my agent, uh, Carson Adler, I uh, love them. They're still actually, they, they're still in business on, on 57th Street. Uh, you know, they were they were wonderful. Two wonderful women who were my agents. Uh, Marion Adler and Nancy Carson, and they're just wonderful people. I still talk to Nancy. Unfortunately, Marion has passed on. God rest her soul. Um, but I had good people around me, you know, and uh, I mean, it's not too hard to work with somebody uh, when they do the right thing and you do the right thing. You know, I, I, I was a crazy kid. I love to play, jump, run, do all the crazy stuff the kids did, but I didn't do stupid stuff. I never got into trouble. I never got arrested. You know, I never drugs, booze, none of that stuff. You know, I just like to, to smile and have fun. What, what about your parents? Were they like a, um, supportive or, or would you consider them to be like a stage parents type of thing? You, you hear about that stereotype? Um, not really. My parents were not stage parents, so to speak. My mom worked regular jobs. You know, she worked at AT&T and Beneficial Insurance. Uh, my dad owned his own business. He was a, a janitorial window cleaning floor waxing business. Uh, my dad always loved show business, introduced me to movies, took me to, you know, movie clubs as a kid. Uh, you know, my dad's little touch of fame was he was the company clerk in the army in Germany for this guy in 1958 to 1960. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of him. His name was Elvis Presley. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Get out of here. <laughs> Your dad was so my, my, my dad was the company clerk and Elvis saw him every day and he'd come up. How you doing, Danny? Can I get my pass? Cool and my dad would write his pass out and go to Lieutenant. They'd sign off. Thanks a lot, Danny. Have a good one. And he'd walk out the door. How cool is that, man? Yeah. And, my, and, and, my dad played touch. My dad played touch football at his house on Sundays. He put out a spread for everybody. 
Um, my dad said he was he was just a very gracious, you know, good guy. Yeah, um, yeah so I that had, was my I, dad's sort of touch of Hollywood. But I'll, I'll sort of finish where I was going with oh, that. Um, I mean, me being in show business wasn't something that he pursued. He wanted me to do. It just sort of happened. And he said, hey, you want to do this? Sure, we can do this. No problem. And we did it. And, uh, you know, I, I was a pretty independent kid, you know, even at 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, outside of him driving me to where I needed to go for an audition, the rest was up to me. I did the readings. I did the studying of the lines and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, so they, they were, but they, they weren't. They had their own businesses. They had their own lives. But more, much more, my father encompassed his life. Uh, if if I needed to go somewhere, it got taken care of. So then, these stories you hear about the child actors that they're pissed off their parents because their parents stole their money and stuff like that. Nothing like that. No, no, not not really. You know, uh, everybody's parents are different. You know, uh, I, I you can't formate today's thinking with what went on thirty something years ago. Uh, the money was different. You know, I mean, when I was doing the toy, I was making 1750 bucks a week. Right. You know, as, as a co-star of a film, if I did that same movie today, it's 150 or $200,000 payday. You know, much, much different things. So um, unless you were on television like, you know, uh, Gary Coleman making 75, 100,000 a week, whatever, because he was the star of a show on NBC and all that stuff. Uh, my parents didn't never gave up their working lives to take care of me. They never did that. And gotcha. there are some that do, there's no question. You know, there have been parents that have been accused of, of taking their kids' money. Some were proven, like in Gary Coleman's case. Um, and then there's been other child star, and I don't ever mention his name now. Um, and uh, he accused his, his mother and father of stealing his money. It just wasn't true. You know, mm. uh, so there's just sort of a fine line that you have to kind of toe. And if you know what's going on, you know, the situation, you can sort of, you know, come up with your own conclusions to what went on. OK, that's interesting. Now, uh, now uh, what, do you still see any money from those repeats from all, all those things, those movies, anything, anything? It, it, it's a fun, great question. Yeah, it really is. This has nothing to do with the fact that I was a kid actor. Nothing. There was an agreement with Screen Actors Guild that was done in like 1980, 81, somewhere in there when cable was first really starting to explode. And what they did was, is they said, if you show a movie on the same channel within a 24 hour period, more than once, whether it's on once, twice, four times, whatever it is, because it's on the same channel, you only get paid for one showing. So when you see the 24 hours of a Christmas story, I get paid for two showings and it's a sliding scale. And because it's been shown so many times, the realistic number is when they show it, I get about a dollar 60 for the, for, for the two days yeah. well, Not per showing. Yeah. It's for the two days. I get like 80 cents a day and they show it however many times. And, <laughs> and I end up, with one dollar and sixty cents. Well, but isn't it on so many stations though? Like you know, no, it's everywhere. No, it's just on. It's just on T. Well, uh, Turner owns it, so it would okay. be a Turner owned station. Gotcha. Um, so uh, realistically, you know, when TBS does it, they might show it once or twice someplace else, but it's normally 
a cable station of, you know, Turner's owning and, and cable residuals are different than network residuals. Okay. I was hoping maybe you got, you know, because <laughs> you, know, you, you think a hundred million times that thing's played, man. It's 10 cents. I, I wish it was more than that too. Trust yeah, me. I, I know. You know, I would love to see a check for a couple thousand bucks yeah. for the marathon, but it's a dollar sixty. And they're making good money off it too. You know what I mean? It's not like they, it's any expense to them to put that back on. <laughs> according yeah. according to Warner Brothers, and this was a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, uh, they actually made a statement that said uh, A Christmas Story is the number one most profitable film that they've ever owned because they bought it. They had no uh, expenses to make the film. The film was made by MGM and then Ted Turner bought it as part of the package that he bought from MGM. He spent 250,000 bucks to buy the movie. Wow. What an investment. So exactly. And you've done a couple of projects after that though, like a little, some uh, projects related to Christmas story. They were your own projects, right? Uh, we did a thing called the untold Christmas story. It's right. kind of a behind the scenes DVD that, that the cast members, we all did, you know, just to own something and have something that we sell. When I go to the appearances, I bring some with me, you know? Okay, great. Um, yeah. But if we ever got, you know, monstrous distribution, it would be beautiful, but we never have. So it's like, it's okay. You yeah. know, we, we did it. We had fun doing it. We made a few bucks, nothing major consequence, but it's something that that we did. And can people get that on, on Amazon? You know, I don't know if Amazon has it anymore. They okay. might have it. Okay. But otherwise, they come down, they see in person over there at the, the Winter Con or the Steel City Comic Con, and you, they, you can get an autographed copy. I guess uh, you give them, right? Sure. There sure you go. Autograph them, you know. All right, great. Oh, boy. Okay. And now what about, did you ever have any plans of, of besides acting? You want to do something with a different kind of career? When you were young, youngster, high school? You know, I was never, realistically, I was a sports guy, you know, and uh, due to the fact that I say I had no chance because my father's all a five, four, my mom's four, nine and a half. So the NBA was never going to be calling. That was just not in my future, you know, uh, Major League Baseball, not in my future. I love sports. I excelled at sports, but due to the different career as far as movies, I couldn't be on the baseball team at school or the basketball team or the bowling team because I missed too many practices because I had a career already. I was going to auditions. Um, so if I, I wasn't, I'd probably go into sports casting or something like that because of my love of that or uh, film, you know, and I don't mean as far as uh, um, acting wise, just doing other things in and around the film industry because I loved it as a kid. You know, if you, if you said to me today, you know, if you, if you couldn't be an actor, what would you want to be? Just put me as a talk show host, mm. you know, or some kind of a, 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 a TV talk something, and, and I would excel at it. You know, I tell you, talk show hosts, you, you meet the most interesting people in the whole world. It's a, it's a, it's a real blessing, man. It's, a, it's very rewarding, uh, you know. That, that, listen, I'm, I'm yeah. you know, uh, I mean, I say this and, and uh, you know, at some point, I just I want to be on the Tucker Carlson show and the Hannity show and talk to those guys because I just think that they're terrific. Mm. Oh, so you're you're right wing you guy. If you want to call it that. <laughs> okay. Uh, did you vote for Trump? 
Of course. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. President, Mr. Trump. Listen, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm a very, I'm a logical person. I'm an up the middle guy right. that always looks at both sides of the coin when it comes down to the end of the day. Oh, right. And I go, okay, this person has this and these flaws. This person likes has this and has these flaws. And you have to come up with what you feel is the better decision. And, you know, my thing was, you know, you, you can call, our president, whatever you want to call misogynistic, racist, this, that. There's nothing that's really ever been there to do that. It's just more baloney. Um, yeah, we, you know, we know what the things that he said, and okay, fine, but that does not disqualify you from running our country, and he's a businessman. And then we had the other side of the coin, and I'm just a believer, and that's just, it's just my opinion. If the FBI has you on speed dial, you don't belong being the president. <laughs> Well, listen, yeah, that's let's, just the way I looked at it. You're not going to get any endorsement of Hillary out of me. I'll tell you that, you know, or, or the Clinton crime family whatsoever. Uh, they're, they're well, going, I mean, listen, yeah, it's yeah. long, it's long, long documented. And I, I just I can't go with somebody's message to become president that I'm going to be the first woman. And he's an ass. Mm. That is not a message that resonates with me. I want to know what you're going to do foreign policy. I want to know what you're going to do for the economy. If you can't give me those things, and, and you know, we have terrorism and all that, you can't give me some key things. What are you doing there? You can't just run on I'm a woman. And I, and I love women. So I'm not saying I wouldn't vote for a woman. I'm just saying that's not a policy. Yeah, you, you just if you look into the Clinton Foundation alone and, and how they stole money from Haiti, they stole money from earthquake victims in Haiti, you know, and, and now listen, I, yeah, again, I don't want this to become a political thing. Yeah. But, but how do you get around there? Yeah. How do you get around it? People, people want yeah. it. People have to look at it and want to know the information is there and what went on. Most people, they see it. And they don't want to know about it, so they turn the other way. And that's unfortunate, but that's the country we live in, and everybody's entitled to their own opinion. And that's okay. I don't dislike anybody. I don't hate anybody. You know, I've had, I know, I live now, you know, outside of Southern California. And I mean, I get hit with it every single day. And people, how can you? How can you? And I'm like, you know, I talk to people who have, have money. And they have money in real estate and they have money in the stock market. And I say to them, okay, so he made a joke about Elizabeth Warren. Now, what was that stock that you had that went up 40% so far this year? And he's just put another one of your descendants through college. Just, just, just tell me why he's such a bad guy again. And, and it makes no sense. This will be a good time to take commercial break. We'll come back and we'll, we'll change gears and go we'll get back to your, your showbiz career. Uh, we're with Scott. <laughs> Scott Schwartz. Scott Schwartz, man. Uh, fascinating guy. Uh, Christmas story, toy story. Uh, he's done all this other work too. We'll be right back with more of Scott Schwartz right after these messages. And now a word from our sponsors. I want to welcome a newest sponsor, SubashTechnosis.com. Subash Technosis is a search engine optimization and website design company, software testing, offshoring research network, customer care, press release, content writing and distribution, and much, much more. Now, you can get a hold of Subash Technosis by email at info at 
subashtechnosis.com. Their website is www.subashtechnosis.com. And their Skype is A-N-U-S-H-A-S-U-B-A-S-H. Remember, all these shows on Awake are brought to you by emailrevealer.com. You can go to emailrevealer.com and get a copy of my book, How to Become a Successful Private Investigator. But you also do all kinds of different services for you. An online dating service investigation is called an online infidelity investigation. And that's where you give us your husband or your boyfriend, your girlfriend's email address, and we trace it back to their online dating websites. And we return a list of all the dating sites that that email is registered to. We can expand on that investigation and trace it back to porn sites, escort service sites, swinger sites, gambling websites, and even prescription drug websites. If you think your ex-husband or something is addicted to prescription medication, or involved in an extreme online pornography addiction, we can produce a report for you that you can use in court. Adoption investigations. If you want to locate your birth parents or your, or your birth child you gave away for adoption, we can do, do adoption investigations for you. Asset searches for you. Email tracing. If you need to locate or identify somebody from just an email address, that's emailrevealer.com, or you can contact me at oppermaninvestigations at gmail.com. Don't forget, this show is brought to you by PSCoco.com. Phoebe Saad is an independent curator with the Cocoa Exchange. The Cocoa Exchange is formerly known as Dove Chocolate Discoveries, and they make the finest silky smooth chocolate because the products start with the best cocoa beans, which are tested for quality and flavor by expert technicians. The Cocoa Exchange offers not just premium chocolates, but anything from sauces and spices to brownie and cake mixes and even coffee and martini mixes. If you wish to treat yourself or someone you love to a sweet and tasty gift, then the Cocoa Exchange is the brand for you. So you go to PSCoco.com, you click on the Shop Now button, you can see all their beautiful chocolates, you can order it right now tonight, it could be in your mailbox in a couple of days, or if you want to get into the chocolate business, you want to be a chocolatier just like Phoebe Saad, click the Contact Us button, and you can learn how to get your own website, go into the Cocoa Chocolate Business, and sell chocolate and make a little bit of money there. You can have your ad played here at oppermanreport.com. The ads are very, very inexpensive, and they're also played in the Opperman Report member section. In the member section, you can find all kinds of exclusive content that you won't find anywhere else. Contact me directly at oppermanreport at gmail.com. Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator, Ed Opperman. Uh, we have today with us Scott Schultz, and you can catch uh, Scott Schultz uh, coming up this weekend. Schwartz. Oh, I, I, oh, I keep doing that. Man, I knew it's Sch uh Damn, I'm so sorry. Schwartz, like F-A-O Schwartz. I got it written down right um, in front of me, Schwartz. Scott uh, maybe Schwartz. Schwartz be with you. <laughs> uh, Scott, I'm so sorry, man. And I knew I was going to keep making that mistake because I had the other word in my head the other day, but it's Scott Schwartz. Schwartz. And he was the, he played the, the, he was in a toy and he was also in a Christmas story. And you can catch him this weekend at uh, um, WinterCon in Jamaica, Queens at Resort World, World Casino. And then the next weekend, the first weekend in December, he'll be at the Steel City Comic Con in uh, Monroeville, Pennsylvania. And Scott, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, you know, hey. Well, you got you got it right in the end, and that's all that matters. <laughs> okay, because the other day when I was I was talking to uh, Judy Haim, and I says, "Yeah, I'm going to have Scott," and I said the other word, and she says, "Who's well?" You should, she said, "Well, you should have Scott Schwartz instead." <laughs> I said, "Okay, maybe I should." You know, that's right. Jeez. <laughs> oh, well, the other one's an imitation. We got the we got the genuine deal here. 
So now, okay, you're growing up in New Jersey. There comes a time when you decide to move out on your own to L.A. Is that what happened? I'm sorry, say that again? Yeah, like uh, we, because we left off the story before we got into the whole uh, Clinton's down stealing money from Haitians. <laughs> okay, we were, <laughs> you were you were graduating high school in New Jersey, but there came a time when you yeah. decided to move back to Hollywood, right? Well, moved to Hollywood, yeah. Okay. And that was around how, how old? Oh, right, six months after I graduated high school, between 18 and 19. By yourself or with your parents? No, I moved by myself. Okay, yeah, so right, I moved out uh, to when I was about 18, 19 years old. Now, okay, so you move out to uh, L.A. all by yourself, uh, and you're making money because you, you, you get an acting work out there? Uh, I mean, I got a little bit of work. I mean, it took me a little bit of time to get my feet wet out here. But, uh, you know, I, I did some work. I got, a, you know, a couple little spots on episodics, on TV shows, and I did uh, a couple movies with uh, Frank Stallone uh, and, and other people. Of course, Kay Lenz was called The Honor Betrayed. And Clifton Young, and then I did another film called The Garbage Man, which has never seen a light of day, which was hilarious. I played a gay bodybuilder. It was great. <laughs> now, what about, uh, did you have, like, regular jobs, too, like a waiter, that kind of stuff? Oh, I did just about everything. Okay. You know, I mean, uh, you know, God, I, I, I actually I worked in a, in a sports card store for a while, uh, and, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, production work for different kinds of productions. You know, I I just kept busy, you know, just trying to, to do something. Yeah, you got to hustle. And when you're a young kid, you can hustle 24 hours a day, right? Uh, and get out sure. there and yeah, you bust your ass. Now, um, is this when you started hanging out? What about this period of your life? Did you get into drugs and alcohol around this time? Must have went wild no. a little bit, right? No, the only time, the only time that, that you could consider a period, uh, I was a, a junior in high school. I was going to school in, in New York, and I smoked pot for like three months. That was it. That's it, huh? Okay. That was it. Now, uh, is this that, that was never my thing. And this is when you started hanging out with these young stars like Corey Haim and all these guys like that? Sure. When I came out to California, uh, I was staying with Melissa Milano and her family because uh, we were friends from New York. Her and I did hundreds of auditions together. So when we were in auditions, her mom and my dad sitting there. You got nothing to do. You just chit chat. So they became friendly, and uh, they offered. They they had an extra room in their house, and they said, "Yeah, you know, you want to come for a while and, and get your feet wet, sure." You know, and I was there for about eight months, and she was down the hall for me every day. You know, and I was on the set of Who's the Boss, and then Married with Children was next door, and you know all that. But then, uh, of course, you know you you're there, so you start seeing all the other gang. You know, Corey Haim, who I had worked with already. Uh, before that, uh, and Scott Grimes and Brian Bloom and Kirk Cameron and uh, Alfonso Ribeiro and Schroeder and the whole gang. And, and and there was a place called the Soda Shop you guys used to hang out at? It was called Alfie Soda Pop Party. That's what they were called. Soda it was, they were, they were uh, sponsored by Randy Miller of New York Seltzer uh, that you can find in stores even today. They're still out there. Um, and it was just a place for kids in Hollywood, uh, who were, you know, professional kids in show business to go and hang out. It wasn't a photo op thing. It wasn't a fan thing. It was just a place for us all to go and hang out with our peers, you know, as opposed to being attacked by fans or people coming up, Hey, blah, blah, blah. So it was Christina Applegate and David Faustino and myself and everybody else I mentioned and Martika, uh, the singer, 
um, you know, there were 50, 60 kids and we would hang out uh, in a big ballroom uh, at the Roosevelt, the whole Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. They just rented a room and we had this party and we hung out. There were parents there. There was supervision. You know, there was no booze, no drugs, none of that. You know, it was all, you know, pop, uh, pop drinks, you know, soda drinks. And, and we would sing and dance and have contests and lip sync contests and karaoke contests and, you know, just a place for the kids in the business to go and have fun without being harassed. So it was like a, a, a team, an, an all age club, they call it, right? But no alcohol. So, but it was at night. You'd go yeah, there at yeah. night. Right. It's one of those clubs. Yeah, no, I mean, there were probably a couple of kids that were nine and 10, okay. you know, but they were a little more advanced mentally than most, but they, you know, and then up through, you know, 19, 20, I was, I was, you know, 18, 19 when I was there. Right. Um, but it was, you know, you're in the business, you're more than welcome. And it was an admission to get in. And so it was like a business. No, no, there was no admission to get in. Then how it the- was a sponsored show because. Randy Miller from New York Seltzer, he wanted us to be seen with his product. Okay. So he wanted us to be associated with his products. It was not a pay thing. You know, so he sponsored the parties and everybody showed up. And, and we had a blast. Okay, the parties every week or every night? Uh, you know, I think it was like around every other week, you know, that sometimes if something was going on and not enough people would go, they'd make it once a month. You know, right. but there were, there were, you know, it wasn't something that was in every week, you know, that I, that I saw that everybody went every week. Okay. And, uh, and this is where you became friends with Corey Haim. I had done a, a TV movie of the week with Corey Haim the year before that called The Time to Live with Liza Minnelli. Corey Haim played my brother. So we were already friends. Okay. Now, you hear all these allegations, right? Um, especially in the, the past month or so, all these GoFundMe accounts, all these kind of things. Uh, what, can you, what can you enlighten us about? What, what, what did you see going on back in those days? Nothing. I saw absolutely nothing. This is where there's this big to-do about, you know, Corey Feldman, I'm saying his name, oh my God, mm. um, coming out and saying, you know, I was this, I was that, this is what happened. And, the, and I'm going, dude, I didn't see this. You know, I was an adult. I wasn't 12 years old, you know, with my head in my behind. I was 19. There, there, uh, he claimed that there were men in black that showed up, guys in suits that showed up to look at all the little kids. I didn't see that. He said there were no parents there. Parents were there. Scott Grimes' mom came. Alyssa Milano's mom came. You know, Schroeder's mom. I mean, it, it, parents were there. There was supervision. Um, you know, some of the claims that, that he made, timelines don't match up. Uh, you know, he stated that uh, the guy that, that who had put his name on the, uh, the parties had done something to him earlier. Now, I never saw any of that. I never witnessed any of that, so I can't say if something happened, didn't happen. Again, as I stated before, I'm a logical, sensible person. Now, if somebody had touched me in an inappropriate manner, I certainly, a year or a year and a half later, would not be on stage singing and dancing with that same person. That's just me. So, this is what he claims happened and went on before. 
the the soda pop party started, but then he's singing and dancing with this person on stage. So there's there's just real questions that come up. Do I think something happened to him? Yes. You know, he's just been been talking about it for way too many years, and they've, you know, I know Corey Haynes, what what went on with him. Um, but there's just a lot of of holes and things and lies and and accusations that just don't add up. They don't cut the mustard, you know. But I don't question him as far as did something did somebody do something to him. I've never questioned him on that. I've never said I don't believe you. That's never happened. Now you said you were 19 at the time, and and how old were they? Like Corey, the two Corys. How old were they at the time? Uh, 16. Okay. I think they're three years, three years younger than me, something right around there. Okay. So then, then you would be a little bit more aware and have a little bit more experience of what's going on around you, you know, and, and how about growing up? Did you notice anything shady? Cause when I was a kid, you know, at the movie theater, you know, it was well known that if you went up in a balcony, there was some weirdos up there. Did you have that kind of savvy in your life? Those kind of experiences that you knew to watch out for that kind of thing? No, none of us did. Okay. You know, again, you, you heard a lot of, uh, statements have been made by many, many different people. And, you know, they take the knowledge that they have from 30 years later and they put it back right. when they were 14, 15, 16 years old. You know, oh, this guy was kind of creepy. Okay. But if he was kind of creepy, why'd you go to the party then? Why did you always go if this guy was creepy? You know, because it wasn't creepy back then. We just all went and had a good time. There, there was nothing that went on at those parties. And I mean, I, I questioned my own memory bank. So I did my homework and I probably talked to a dozen or so, maybe a few more or less at this point, you know, 12, 14, 13 uh, people that were there at the same time I was. And I said, am I crazy? Do I remember this this way? Am I right or am I wrong? And so far, I've not gotten anybody to say, no, no, dude, this is what happened. You missed all of this. Nobody's done that yet. They've all said, no, you're, you're right on the spot on. That's exactly what happened. Your memory is perfect. And I said, thank you. Now, out of all these people, have any of them come forward to uh, endorse Corey Feldman's uh, version of events? Not fully. You know, he is, he's had a couple of friends who are, you know, celebrities. And they have said that we stand with Corey. And yet at the same time, we can't back everything that he's saying. So again, sort of like what I said, they're not questioning maybe, you know, something did happen to him. They're not questioning that, but it's the other parts of the story that they have issues with. And then which part is that? Uh, the, the things I talked about at the soda pop party, you know, okay. this, you know, that, and these other things that nobody else saw. Yeah, he made a statement that, you know, a guy came out of the bathroom with a kid and this and that. And I'm going, the bathroom's in the hallway. There's parents in the hallway. And nobody else is, is, and I've spoken to the parents. You know, I've spoken to parents of other child stars. And I said, did you ever see this? They're like, no. No, never saw that. And they were there. What, you know, what about, just, there's a lot of questions that go into the rest of this story. And unfortunately, you know, this person who now has an Indiegogo fund and this fund, help me, I'm scared my life and blah, blah. 
And this person has been doing this his whole life. You know, feel sorry for me. My dad stole my money. Feel sorry for me that I did drugs. Feel sorry for me that, that this happened. And feel sorry for me. And, and now he's figured out a way with everything that's going on in, in, our, in the entertainment community, uh, you know, with Harvey Weinstein and everybody else to sort of jump on this and put a dollar amount to it and put a campaign together to raise money for something that everybody is kind of going, uh, I don't get this. You know, you want to make a movie about pedophilia in Hollywood? Who's going to make that? Who's going to distribute it? And he wants to self-fund it and self-make it. And it's just never going to happen. You know, but, but, but what he's done, though, is whatever the amount of money that is in there, he gets to keep. It's his money. Nine percent of it has to come out for the, the company, uh, Indiegogo, that hosts the, the, the thing. And then he's got to pay taxes on the money. But the rest of it, he can do whatever he wants with it. You know, I mean, he said, you know, I'm going to have security. I need 24-hour armed guards. He's not Michael Jackson. Come on. This is ridiculous. You know, it's called ADT. It's $40 a month. Have a nice day. You know, again, I'm a logical, sensible thinker. It's very simple. You get an alarm pad like everybody else. You put them, push the numbers at night, and you're, that's it. Now, you know, but he's, he's, he's run the sympathy gamma to the point of raising hundreds of thousands of dollars that could have gone to the real people in need, children with cancer, pediatrics, whatever it is. You want to put it into kids in Hollywood, uh, you know, put money into, you know, forming a foundation for a lobbyist to, cha- to change the child labor laws for kids in show business. That's really where it could go to be helpful. Forget homeless, you know, the homeless or food banks. You know, those are people that really need this money. And he is seeping money that could be donated someplace else. Well, well also, too, know, I, don't well, believe he's, yeah. I, I don't believe he's a 501c3 charity. So even if you make a donation to this, I don't think it's tax deductible. You're just it's, you're just giving somebody free money. That's all you're doing. Well, also, too, you've produced – we discussed one. You just produced an independent film about the, the Christmas story behind the scenes, and you're selling it, right? So, And oh, there's all this attention on this. He could produce a low-budget film, documentary or whatever, telling his story and, and recoup his funds. It's not like that's impossible. Um, again. You're a logical guy. (laughs) You're logical, okay? You make sense, okay? But this is not what it's about. This is about getting enough money so that he doesn't have to work anymore and doesn't need a job. He's never worked a regular job his whole life. Let me ask you you a question now. Uh, Besides this issue, have you had a falling out with Corey Feldman besides this? For other reasons? I've I've had many things throughout the years that have gone on. Um, going all the way back to the 80s, and I'm a forgive-and-forget kind of person. I always have been. So when we had something happen a couple of months later, yeah, whatever. You forgive and you forget. You move on and you're friends. And I've helped him many times over the years, needed money for his, his mortgage or his rent or his child support or this and that. Uh, I booked him at shows. Uh, you know, he was at uh, a Comic-Con in San Antonio. I helped him get the booking. Uh, oh my God, where was the other one? There was another one that he did and it's just not coming into my head now, but then there was one at the Chiller Theater Convention in New Jersey. 
Oh, D23. That's what it was. The second one was D23 in Anaheim, California, a couple years ago. Um, the Chiller Theater Show in Parsippany, New Jersey, which is every uh, April and October. The promoter did not want him to be there. He just did not want him there. And I said, listen, the guy needs money for his child support. Come on. You know, he was going to be in, in on the East Coast. There was no airfare. It was just a hotel for a couple nights. And the guy agreed because I asked him to do me a favor. He's a friend of mine. So I was I was helping Feldman with his child support. And then he basically wanted to not give me a commission on the booking because of something else that I had nothing to do with. No, no, stupid. I got you. Long story short, you've had minor, uh, minor, those kind of stupid little business things. When you're in business with some for 30 years and you're back and forth, every deal's a new little negotiation and you're a little pissed off about this, pissed off about that, but not enough to explode like a volcano, like what's happening right now. Just that, that kind of you stuff, know, right? This is why I have been saying what I've been saying is because he dragged me into this. Uh, when they, they talked about the Alfie Soda Pop parties and we were all there, it was on the Dr. Oz show. They showed this video of us all up on stage, and I happened to be next to this guy, Alfie, who was one of the hosts of the party. And Feldman, you know, said, look at uh, Scotty Schwartz, you know, look at how he looks at Alfie. Maybe yeah. he's got secrets. So he's now accusing me of having something secretive that went on there. So he brought me into this. Yeah, I you saw know, I saw that. That was a tweet. He put out a, a weird tweet with all kinds of funny typing. Uh, yeah, but you know, yeah. there's there's no nothing. You know, I mean, Alyssa Milano was down the hallway from me for eight months. You know, she was my little sister. She was not anybody I had any interest in uh, in dating or anything. I was eighteen. She was fourteen. It was ridiculous. Okay. And I mean, I have cards from her. You know, uh, my my big brother Scotty, love you so much, Alyssa. I have these things. I'd have to find them again if somebody called me on. It's not a bluff, but I'd have to find it. But, you know, this, this, it's, it's saying to somebody, I'm not really accusing you of this, but I'm kind of questioning you on this. You know, and there's not one kid in show business or anywhere else um, that can tell me that I did anything improper. Let me it, ask, it's just ridiculous. Let me ask you this. But are they saying you did something improper with Melissa Milano? No. Okay. No, no. Nobody said okay. that. Okay. What I'm saying is that he just kind of put it out there. You know, what secrets do I have to right. hide? Right. I saw And that. it's like, dude, you can't, you can't do that. You're calling somebody out on nothing. But in the sequence of events, what came first? That, that tweet from him or that open letter you put out? Um, I think the open letter that I put out, Okay. you know, but again, you know, it wasn't mean spirited. It wasn't, you know, uh, uh, it was just calling him on the fact that he was taking what's happened to him and he's profiteering from pedophilia. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. He's saying that, that he was touched inappropriately 30-something years ago, and now all of a sudden he needs money for security because he's going to name names. Now, again, I'm a very logical person, okay? I'm very sensible, logical. If there is somebody that exists 
Hold on one second. I'm sorry. Hey, I want to interview this. Hey, I'll play a commercial. Hey, Scott, I'll play a commercial. Want to yeah. play, play a commercial? I'll play a commercial. We'll be right back. You got, five, you got five minutes. We'll be back with more Scott Schultz. Okay, Schultz. On the sports! We'll be back with Scott Schwartz. And now a word from our sponsors. Don't forget, this show is brought to you by PSCoco.com. Phoebe Saad is an independent curator with the Cocoa Exchange. The Cocoa Exchange is formerly known as Dove Chocolate Discoveries, and they make the finest silky smooth chocolate because the products start with the best cocoa beans, which are tested for quality and flavor by expert technicians. The Cocoa Exchange offers not just premium chocolates, but anything from sauces and spices to brownie and cake mixes and even coffee and martini mixes. If you wish to treat yourself or someone you love to a sweet and tasty gift, then the Cocoa Exchange is the brand for you. So you go to PSCoco.com, you click on the Shop Now button, you can see all their beautiful chocolates, you can order it right now tonight, it could be in your mailbox in a couple of days, or if you want to get into the chocolate business, you want to be a, a chocolatier just like Phoebe Saad, click the Contact Us button, and you can learn how to get your own website, go into the Cocoa Chocolate Business, and sell chocolate and make a little bit of money there. You can have your ad played here at OppermanReport.com. Every Friday night, 5 p.m. and Saturday night, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And on Friday nights, too, we do a live portion for one hour that I just do a live monologue. The ads are very, very inexpensive, and they're also played in the Opperman Report member section. In the member section, you can find all kinds of exclusive content that you won't find anywhere else. It's as cheap as $6 a month, $20 a quarter, or $75 for a year. If you contact me directly at OppermanReport at gmail.com, I'll set you up with a little special deal there. Where you get a discount if you PayPal me directly and even get a copy of my book. I want to thank Sean Duff from strawman.com. He runs the website. He runs the, uh, the, the, the member section. And I also want to thank William Ramsey, who helps us to produce the show and book guests. You can find Sean Duff at strawmanmusic.com. He's an excellent musician. You can find William Ramsey, who's an excellent author, at William Ramsey Investigates on YouTube. I want to welcome a newest sponsor, subashtechnosis.com. Subash Technosis is a search engine optimization and website design company. They're located in India, so you know you're going to save a lot of money and get top quality service. They offer all sorts of business process outsourcing, data entry, banking BPO services, recruitment process outsourcing, software testing, offshoring research network, customer care, press release, content writing and distribution, and much, much more. Now, you can get a hold of Subash Technosis by email at info at subashtechnosis.com. Their website is www.subashtechnosis.com, and their Skype is A-N-U-S-H-A-S-U-B-A-S-H. Remember, all these shows on Awake are brought to you by emailrevealer.com. You can go to emailrevealer.com and get a copy of my book, How to Become a Successful Private Investigator. But you also do all kinds of different services for you. An online dating service investigation is called an online infidelity investigation. And that's where you give us your husband or your boyfriend, your girlfriend's email address, and we trace it back to their online dating websites. And we return a list of all the dating sites that that email is registered to. We can expand on that investigation and trace it back to porn sites, escort service sites, swinger sites, gambling websites, and even prescription drug websites. If you think your ex-husband or something is addicted to prescription medication, 
or involved in an extreme online pornography addiction, we can produce a report for you that you can use in court. Adoption investigations. If you want to locate your birth parents or your birth child you gave away for adoption, we can do, do adoption investigations for you. Asset searches for you. Locate bank accounts, hidden assets, hidden properties, hidden income, all different kinds of services in the asset search investigation. Email tracing. If you need to locate or identify somebody from just an email address, that's emailrevealer.com or you can contact me at oppermaninvestigations at gmail.com. It's the Opperman Report. Join digital forensic investigator and PI Ed Opperman for an in-depth discussion of conspiracy theories, strategy of New World Order resistance, high-profile court cases in the news, and interviews with expert guests and authors on these topics and more. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator Ed Opperman. Okay, welcome back, back to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator, Ed Opperman. We're here with Scott Schwartz in the toy and also, too, in the Christmas story. And uh, he's involved now in this controversy between Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. Uh, Scott, are you there? Are you yes, back? I'm here. Okay, great. great. Yeah, I'm having a rough day, too. <laughs> okay, we're both talking off the air, but my mold and your pipe's going. Uh, let's, let's back up a little bit here. What can you tell us about the actual friendship and relationship between Haim and Feldman? It's portrayed that they were best friends. Is is this accurate? Well, that's that's one half of of who has said something. The the other person isn't here anymore to say anything. Right. They were friendly as kids. Once that got out of the late teens, early twenties, it was a friendship based on uh, business relationship. It was because it was beneficial for the two of them to be in a certain place at a certain time to be photographed together, to be seen together. There was no going to dinners, hanging out, doing things that friends do. That stuff didn't exist. You know, did they talk? Well, yeah, because they had to keep in communication because somebody wanted them to be here for an appearance or do this or do that. And it was strictly more for business than just pals who hang out. And that could be as simple as something as, hey, show up at this opening, show up at this bar, show up at this nightclub, because uh, we want some free publicity tonight by having a picture of you guys, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I mean, uh, the, the friendship that Corey Feldman discusses um, is a tremendous exaggeration. Tremendous. You know, there, there, was, there was a lot of underlining... Uh, problems, issues, hatred, what went down, you know, how how Corey Haim met his accuser, the person that did something to him. I mean, there's all kinds of things that went on, and a lot of it's explained in the two Corys. That second season is a very powerful thing. I'm not a reality show lover, but, you know, he went to a place that I don't think anybody of them thought that they were going to go to in the show. Um, so it really exposes uh, the, the inner feelings of, on both of their sides. So you think that scene in, in the, the TV show, The Two Corys, you think that's accurate, that wasn't scripted, it wasn't staged? No, that was not scripted or staged. That just came out. Okay. That just came out. Okay. Yeah, which is very sad. Yeah. And, and, and uh, the stuff in Corey's book where he, he, leaves out all these, he lays out all these clues that go back to the film Lucas. Uh, what do you know about that? 
uh, it's all BS. It, it's all baloney. Okay, the, the, the person who named Charlie Sheen, you can find his name online. It's not Corey Feldman. It was another actor who was friends with them, who Feldman introduced him to. Right. Um, he came up with this. And said, Corey Haynes said to me this, you know, about Charlie Sheen, and that's wrong. That's inaccurate. It's false. It's made up. It's bullshit. It's nonsense. Charlie Sheen did nothing to Corey Haynes. You know, again, you have to look at a lot of part, a lot of moving pieces. I can tell you, I sat with Corey Haynes in his apartment. He lived right above me. We moved into a building together. You know, I lived on four and he lived right above me. And he told me who did what when it happened. And it was not Charlie Sheen. Okay. That is that is just a load of caca. Charlie Sheen was like 19, I think, at the time. And since all this stuff came out, I think it's like three or four girls who were on the set of Lucas all said the same thing. He was chasing me all over the place. Charlie Sheen was trying to you know, get together with me, blah, blah, et cetera. Well, if he's trying to mess with 17, 18, 19-year-old women, Really? He's then going after a 13-year-old boy? And if you follow his life, you know, yeah, I use the technical term. Charlie Sheen's favorite thing in his life is vagina. I will use the technical term. He loves women. That's it. What has your relationship been with Charlie Sheen? Uh... I, in passing for, I don't know, 20 years, you know, when I say in passing, it, I'd write into him someplace, hey, how you doing? Oh, my God, how you been? Blah, blah, blah. How's your family? This is great. Tell your dad. I've met his, I've known his, I've met his father. I've met his brother. I've met his uncle. I, so, I mean, I've met all of them. But he and I, it was always in passing. And actually, when all of this came out, you know, I hadn't talked to him. There's no, I'm getting paid to say this stuff. I wish I was. I, I could I could go. I could take a day off, you know. Um, but through a friend, he actually reached out to me to say thank you. You know, I appreciate you saying what you said. And I said, dude, you know, Kane told me what happened. That's the truth. The rest of it, it's where it comes from. It's baloney. You know, what, what is Hame? What, what was his relationship like with Sheen after the filming of that movie? they ran into each other celebrity you know driven stuff be it a red carpet or a softball game or whatever they were friendly they hugged there's just pictures of it on the internet of them hugging on a, on a softball field again if this is the guy that touched you are you going to be smiling and hugging him i don't think so and, and what about feldman and uh, sheen have no idea no idea wasn't you know, i don't i I don't think that they're friends. I don't, I, I've never heard that. So, but they were dating the same girl back and forth. No, Anne Boleyn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, that's probably a question you'd have to ask Amber. Okay. (laughs) I have, I would have no idea. Okay. But that's funny. I, I, that's, that's hysterical. Okay. I don't, I don't think it was her. There was another adult film star. It could have been. But when you use the term dating, right. um, that actually means that you see somebody on a regular basis. You talk to them on a regular basis for however long it is. Uh, 
I don't exactly think Corey was dating this person. They may have had uh, uh, a get together maybe once or twice. I pretty much know once for sure. Cause I drove in there. Um, the second time, a third, I would have no idea after that, but that person did actually date Charlie, but I pretty sure it was later. And, and you were in the adult business too. What, what was your role in, in pornography? <laughs> a little thing going on here too, right? I produced, directed, ran a uh, production company, uh, worked for one of the agents. You know, it, it paid my bills, put a roof over my head and food on my table. Yeah, because I think the last time yeah, I right. saw you in the news, that's what it was about, is that the, the, the kid from the poll, you know, went uh, into porn. But uh, are you doing well, that? That's, that, that's already uh, 20 years ago. Oh, 20 years 21 ago? 21 years ago. Really? I tell you, man. It's, yeah. Time flies. And I'm, I'm been for, for a long time, decades, I've been, been out of the business, so to speak, you know. Do I have friends that that I still have that were in the business? Yes. But... You know, outside of that, you know, haven't had anything to do with the, the, the industry in 20 years, seven, 17 years. Gotcha. And, and how do you make a full-time living now you, with the uh, appearances? I do appearances. I rep celebrities for autograph shows, memorabilia signings. Somebody wants somebody for a, a motivational speaking. That's okay. one of the things I do. I help my dad at his store a little bit here and there. Uh, I do eBay. I buy and sell collectibles of all kinds. You know, I stay busy. Now, the the name that Corey Haim gave you is the name that's out in the public, uh, the one that everybody's uh, – I, th- I think the guy's convicted, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, but we don't want to say his name? Or... Mm-mm, no? Mm-mm. There's no conviction? No. No, no conviction. Okay. Corey Feldman is named Marty – a guy named Marty Weiss. Right. He's a convicted person. A guy named Bob Ballard, who was a uh, photographer, he's convicted. Then there's another guy, John Grissom, who is off the radar. He's off the map. Nobody knows any idea where this guy is. He has disappeared. But then again, I mean, I hadn't even heard his name in 20 years or longer. But that's not the name that Corey Haim gave you. None of those three names. No. Okay. All right. Those are the those are the three names that that uh, Hamus no 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 I mean and a Felman now d- does Felman uh, claim that he was molested by the same guy who molested uh, the other name the, the other guy who molested Ham I have no idea you don't know about that either okay all right uh, yeah I don't know who nobody knows who Feldman was supposedly touched by. He's never just come out and this person did this. No, he's, you know, oh, this person did oh, this over here and this, that over there. But he's never come out and said, this is the person. He has been saying for years, you know, it's somebody uh, of great importance in the industry and could take down a studio and all this stuff is what he said. Right. Now, again, you think logically and sensibly, if it is somebody of that caliber, that means they got a lot of money, Okay. What that means is, is their lawyer picks up the phone and calls Feldman's lawyer and says, listen, we need this to go away. And how much is it going to take to go away? Is it going to be $3 million, $5 million, $8 million? Tell me what the number is. We'll cut the check and end of story, and it all goes away. You'll never hear about it again. If this person is supposedly who Corey Feldman has said he is, he's monstrous. He's big in the industry. Okay. This guy would never let any of this stuff come to light. 
he quietly do a settlement, write a check, whatever it is, and that'd be the end of it. Yeah, yeah, especially at this point when he's come forward with a figure that he's looking for. He's looking for $10 million. <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, you know, he, just, put the figure, he put the figure out there. Right. And it's not you hard know? to get a hold of film. Mean, again, yeah. you know, we can't think like us. We have to think like somebody who is probably worth hundreds of millions of dollars if you go by the description right. that he's laid out there. And if the person is worth hundreds of millions of dollars, if it costs, you know, it's like me and you buying a cup of coffee to get rid of something that could end their life and their career, you know, is what's, what's it worth? It's worth whatever it's going to cost. Here, no problem, dude. Here, take the money, shut up, and it never gets discussed again. You know, full non-disclosures, full no nothing, and it all goes away. And now these three names that he has mentioned, have you ever met any of these guys? Were they hang- talking about the three guys I mentioned? Yeah, the three guys who, who Feldman says molested him. Uh, Weiss? Well, he hasn't said molested him. They just said have molested children. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, let me think. If I met Bob Villard, it was in passing at, at one of the you know, events that we did or whatever it was. Could have been at the soda pop parties. I don't remember. You're talking 30 years ago. Right. If he was there, I don't remember. Um, the other two guys I have, I have met. Absolutely. Okay. And neither one of them, neither one of them did try to do anything with me, wanted to do anything, nothing like that ever remotely took place. And what was your impression of them, though? Did they come off the kind of guys who could do this? Or you were uncomfortable around them? Again, I was 19 years old. Okay. Nobody thought like that 30 years ago. Nobody. They were guys. They came, they hung out, they laughed, they joked. You know, again, we're taking the knowledge of 30 years later and trying to put it back there, and you can't do it. It's an impossibility. We didn't think like that 30 years ago. You know, none of us did. None of us. There's not one person that you can say can tell you, and and I don't know how old you are, but if you said at 17 years old or 18 years old, did you think like this? No, of course not. You know, I'm uh, I'm older than you. I'm uh, uh, I'm 55 years old, and I can tell you instances. You're two days older than me. Yeah, yeah, and I can tell you, uh, I can remember my childhood. One time at a Catholic school, I I changed schools to another school, and there was this priest who was acting so inappropriate. I, I, I spotted this. You know, you're right. It wasn't in the news. It wasn't talked about like that. But I knew something was wrong. I knew something right away. I said, whoa, something's wrong here. You know, like you never had that kind of feeling. No, no. Okay. And and again, they didn't do anything in public or a public display or something out there where I went, you know, that's just not my, that's just, that's not even a person I want to talk to. You know? I, I, I talked to both of them. I talked to John and I talked to Marty, you know, and again, maybe because I was older, they never would even try anything with me because, you know, maybe I was too old for them. I don't know. All right. Well, how about now? Now that you're talking to these people again, does anybody else confirm these stories about these three guys? Well, they're, the two of them are convicted. So, right. you know, it's like, yeah. Well, like the 12, 14 people you said you talked about these allegations, have you been in touch with them? Do they have any uh, stories about these characters? Again, they all said pretty much what I've said. 
we can't take the knowledge today and go back 30 years. Right. They'd say, yeah, I mean, he was kind of an offbeat guy, but, you know, I didn't see anything really wrong. You know, maybe he was a little strange. You know, maybe if you want to use that word, you know. You know, but they didn't say, oh, he did this or he did that. That made me feel this way. You know, I mean, you know, one of them, uh, he he was a manager of talent, uh, of kids, stars, and he would have parties at his house. And parents could come if they wanted to. And he'd have, you know, guys dress up like the different Disney characters and all this stuff or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or whatever it was, you know. And he had kids' parties. He was a kids' manager, so all the kids would be there, not just one or two. It would be 15 or 20 or 7 or 8 or 10 or whatever it was. Um, and no parents that went there said, oh, I think he's really weird. i got to pull my kid out of here. So even those people that spent more time with him than I did, they didn't think that way. So besides uh, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, because both of them have come to you and told you that they were molested, right? Haim told you for sure. Mm -hmm. And and Feldman told you for sure, right? Well, he told everybody. He told me specifically. So besides those two, have any of your friends from that time come to you and confessed anything to you? Or shared it? I mean, there's there's others that have come out, like Allison Ingram and a few of the other people, but you know, nobody has, has just come and called me and said, hey, I need to tell you this because nobody's right. done that yet. And you've had a lot of conversations with Judy Haim. Uh, Corey is a, fa- a mother. Corey, Corey Haim's mom, yeah. Corey Haim's mom. And uh, so you two have sh- compared notes and things like that, and you're, you're both in agreement on all this? Of course. We were both there. Okay. You know, I love, I love Judy. She's a wonderful woman. She's like a second mom. Since the day I met her, you know, she wasn't an alcoholic. She wasn't a drug addict. The furthest thing from it. That was just not her, you know. Um, And, you know, it's not even the comparing of notes. It's just sitting down saying, okay, this is what he said to me. This is what he said to me. Okay. And you go back and forth and, you know, you just know that that you call BSBS, you know, and, and the amount of water that's under the bridge that the bridge is flooded as far as you know uh what Feldman has done to Judy Hame and continued to drag his name into this you know over the years after being asked many times it's enough you know if you got your issues discuss your issues you know Ori Hame is no longer here to, to to say anything or tell his side or or say anything at this point so why don't you just pay attention to you and your issues and your problems you know, he came out with the book and it's Corey Haim this and Corey Haim that. It's like, oh, my God, dude, whose book is this? Why are you doing this? Mm. You know, Judy has gone through cancer. She's had other health issues and she's nicely asked them and then not nicely asked them over the years because, you know, it just this is a situation. These two guys were connected at the hip because of show business. You know, otherwise they probably never would have been, been connected at the hip. And, uh you know, the, 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 again, the friendship thing, right. you know, it, it's, it's definitely uh, been, I don't want to use the, the word exploited, but it's been exaggerated tremendously, you know, by filming. You know, there's other stories that, you know, I kind of hold close to the vest and they're mine. And when I'm ready to tell them, I'll tell them. But, but they're on the same par with this stuff. You know, it's, it's just not. 
they're, they're just not good situations, not good things. And after court, uh, Feldman came out with the book, you did confront him about the book? And what was there to confront? And believe it or not, the, the book was like two weeks from coming out, and he had one of the first copies. And I, and, and I helped him out. Uh, I, I got him an autograph signing for a trading card company. And I'm sitting in his, in his kitchen, and he hands me the thing. And he says, here, this is you know, brand new, and this is coming out. Da, da, da. And I read like the first two paragraphs, and I couldn't even get through it, and I put it down. That's all I've read of the book. I didn't have to read anymore. Okay. You know, when you start your story, your book, with the day your, your quote-unquote friend died, it's not your book. You know, that's just not how, that's not how things should be. Okay, we're almost out of time. Is there anything uh, that I haven't asked you that, that you'd like to get out? Um, not really. I mean, you've been intuitive. There's a lot of good questions, you know. I mean, I don't hate Corey Feldman. I want to get that on the record. I hate him. Okay. I hate the fact that he's done what he's done right now to suck money out of people who are generous and kind and giving so that he doesn't have to have a gauge. And that's really what this is. This is his money. You know, he's profiteering from pedophilia and that's just wrong. You know, if he had said the Indiegogo, I'm going to give 30% of this money to a lobbyist to help change, you know, the state laws or the federal laws for, for children in show business, I would much more be behind it, but that's not what he did. When you tell me you need lawyer money and security money, I'm going, go get a job like everybody else and work for your money and survive. Put it on the credit card. Do something. Why are you asking people who could be donating that money to somebody else who's really in need? I actually had this conversation before I spoke to you this morning with somebody, and I said, do you realize what we complain about and bitch about and moan about? And yet there are people in the world that don't have food. They don't have clean water. They don't have a toilet. What are we complaining about? You know, but, but there are things that are more common uh, as far as our existence in the United States and what we care about and what we, what we go for. And people who are giving in kind give to a real organization that's actually going to help people. In, in, instead of giving your money to somebody who says, I need money for armed guards at my house, as though he's Michael Jackson. That's the always example I use. And to make a that's movie. That's what he's always done on stage and all the garbage. Yeah. You know, you know the, 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 the day that, that you tell me that he's a great singer is the day I'm getting drafted in the NBA. Okay, I, there you go. I'm 5'2". <laughs> well, no comment on that. But uh, real, real quick, though, what do you make of that whole relationship with Michael Jackson? And, and did you ever meet that guy, Majestic Magnificent, that character? I was very good friends with him. You want a story? Here you go. go ahead, yeah. This is what I'm talking about. You want the expose story? You ask the right question. Go, ahead, go, go. I knew Majestic very well for decades, okay? And Corey, of course, knew him for decades. Majestic had gotten sick. He was in and out of the hospital in Las Vegas. The Jackson family was taking care of his medical expenses, but he needed money for food. And he called me and said, Feldman was here a couple of weeks ago, and he visited me in the hospital, and I was getting ready to get out, and I asked him, you know, if he could float me a little bit of money for some food. He says he would take care of it, went home, and never sent the guy a dime. 
Never sent this guy a dime who he's been friends with for decades. But Majestic called me and said, hey, you know, this is the situation. I need food money, dude. You know, can you help me out? You know somebody for decades. No problem. I went over to Walmart. I did the, the, the uh, uh, Western Union thing or whatever they call it there at the, the, at the Walmart and sent him 250 bucks. Less than a month later, he was gone. He passed away. Okay. And I'm not asking for my $250 back. That wasn't going to happen. I knew that because he told what was going on. I knew he was, he was pretty much to the end of the road. And it was sad, and I was upset. But hey, you've got actually for food. He wasn't a guy. He wasn't an alcoholic. None of that stuff. How does Corey Feldman, who spent vacations or, or trips with this guy, and, and multitudes of times, this guy he calls a friend who's down on his butt. He doesn't have food, and he doesn't send him 20 bucks, 50 bucks, something. How about a possibility? Could you even fathom having a friend of, of several decades and the guy is, is almost on his grave, grave site, doesn't have food, and you don't send him money for food? Would you do that? Yeah, he just dedicated his most recent album to him. And uh, I didn't oh, know that. Listen, yeah. of course he did. What does that cost him? <laughs> if you can, there's an old saying, any, any PR is good PR. I hung with Majestic. I stayed at the house with Majestic and Joe Jackson off Sahara. I was there, man. I did these things with him. He was a friend. He was Corey's friend. But God forbid you put your hand in your pocket and give somebody something. Helping somebody out. He's never had people sleep on his couch. I'm sure there are plenty of people that said, hey, Corey, listen, you know, I'm down on my luck. Could you put me on the couch for a couple of weeks? Oh, no, no, man, my house is full. Or, mm -hmm. you know, oh, no, no, I don't have time for that. Or, you know, I'm just real busy and I don't have time to be watching somebody in my house. That's what he would say. I've had 50 people sleep on my couch throughout the years in, in apartments, in houses, whatever. Hey, you know, you, you send what, a friend a hint. You we, send a hand when you can help somebody. He has no problems letting these Corey's angels come stay at the house. What's going on with that? <laughs> well, read, read the latest tweet and you'll figure it out. But it's right there, black and white for you. Which tweet? Yours? Oh, no, he sent a tweet this morning. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's all about, you know, uh, the Lord, uh, we want, he wants to spread love, and whether it's woman, two women, whatever it is, it's okay. Just spread love everywhere. It's all there. Have at it. And why does he let them stay there free? Because they're his band members. And supposedly, of course, you know, the band left him, and he says, well, they were scared for their lives. No, they weren't scared for their lives. He owes them money. Yeah, he was that. supposed to be paying them for, these appear for the, the band appearances. No, apparently, nobody was getting paid, and they all left. And somewhere I read that in the past week or two that, you know, they're putting together a lawsuit to sue him for the back wages that he owes them. Go figure. I tell you, man, what a soap opera. This whole exactly. thing. This whole thing. Uh, Scott Schwartz, I, I can't thank you enough. Okay. And you got these two appearances coming up. People are going to go see uh, Scott in person at uh, WinterCon in Jamaica, Queens. At Resort World, Resort World Casino, and also to at Steel City Comic Con that's in uh, Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Scott, you got an open invitation, okay? If anything else comes up in this, you want to get some publicity, you want to talk about it, get a hold of me, I'll put you right on the air, okay? 
Sounds good. You take care of yourself and have a happy holiday. Thank you, Scott. And I will. I'm going to watch a Christmas story. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy it more than I ever did before. I tell you, I really will. Thank you. I want to welcome a newest sponsor, SubashTechnosis.com. Subash Technosis is a search engine optimization and website design company. Now, you can get a hold of Subash Technosis by email at info at SubashTechnosis.com. Their website is www.subashtechnosis.com and their Skype is A-N-U-S-H-A-S-U-B-A-S-H. Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator, Ed Opperman. We're joined by Patty Valentine, who's from the Anti-Porn Activist Network. Uh, Patty, are you there? I'm here. Hello. It's just so nice to have you on the show. Uh, Patty, tell us Thank about you. yourself. Tell us about yourself. Who is, who is Patty Valentine? Well, Patty Valentine's not my real name. It's the lyric from a Bob Dylan song called Hurricane. You can look it up. I chose that uh, as a pseudonym because when you do anti-porn work, you get a lot of, uh, let's say, negative feedback from a lot of porn users, and I did not want to be identified. And, you know, they have a tendency to dox you if they don't like you and try to get you fired. And I just don't need that. Um, things like that have happened to me in the past. So I prefer not to use my real name. Okay. Now that's interesting. You know, so you get harassed by what, by fanatical porn fans? Is that it? Um, well, you know, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a group called 4chan. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So they've gone after me for various reasons. They tried to shut down one of my websites. Um, I don't think they would describe themselves as fanatical porn fans. They just like to mess with people for fun is what they say. They're kind of like uh, trolls, I guess, is what you would call them. I call them sociopaths because they like to hurt people and they think it's funny. But um, I do have one of the things they went after me for is I have a site called NoPornPledge.com, which is really a very simple site. It's just if you've decided that you're not going to use porn anymore and you're not going to have like an intimate relationship with anyone else who uses porn. If you've made that decision for yourself, sign your name. Um, the idea behind that is that, you know, a lot of men feel like everybody uses it, therefore I have to use it too. And a lot of women feel like all men use it. So I have to put up with my male partner using it. And I just wanted kind of a catalog or a record of people who were actually being like, no, I don't want this in my life anymore. So that other people who are feeling isolated could you know, get strength from that and say like, oh, I'm not the only one. Well, some people at 4chan thought this was <laughs> offensive somehow. So they start filling it up with like fake names and like right. inside jokes. And they kind of spam me continuously for like a 24 hours straight. So I had to hire somebody to um, go clean all that out. I don't know if you consider that hacking, but it's definitely annoying. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That's like why I don't use my real name. Yeah, Matt, that's a shame. You know, I, we deal with a lot of cases here, you know, like the West Memphis 3 case. And I can't think of another one more recently with this. Um, yeah, well, a lot of true crime cases, too, where just a lot of mm -hmm. uh, uh, Internet people they take things a little too seriously and they go overboard and they get so hostile. They join form groups, you know, to harass you. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I actually know. I, I mean, this is going back like 10 years, but there was a really great um feminist blogger. I never knew her real name. Her name was Biting Beaver. <laughs> that was the name of her blog. I actually run an archive of all the stuff I could gather from her called Archive of the Biting Beaver. She wrote some amazing stuff. And then she wrote a thing about her abortion. And they went after her and they basically like chased her off the internet, tried to get her fired. 
tried to get her kids taken away, all kinds of stuff. Like she disappeared, like nobody's heard from her. So that's the kind of thing that we're talking about that happens to feminists and anti-porn people. So you have to be either pretty committed and make it your life's work as Gail Dines done. She doesn't use those pseudonyms. She uses her real name because this is this is what she does and she doesn't care who knows it. And then you have people like me who are trying to like have a regular life and a, an activist life and kind of combine those without one interfering with the other. But, you know, you wouldn't really think that being anti-porn would be like dangerous or super controversial and that it would get people angry enough at you that they'd want to like unmask you. But believe it or not, it is. Okay, someone like me, I'm 55 years old. So growing up, you know, you had Playboy magazine, you know, but the real uh, extreme porn didn't come around to like Hustler magazine. And then we started, but it, but it, it wasn't acceptable uh, as I was growing up. It was something that wasn't unacceptable. But now you're saying it's the other way around that the, uh, you're ostracized if you're against porn? Um, I would say like, I'm not that, you know, I'm, I'm, I would say middle-aged, but um, yeah, I would say porn is basically definitely moved into the mainstream in the 90s. Um, even before the internet, I would say it was, there was sort of a push to kind of normalize it, like have, you know, Jenna Jameson in your MTV videos and have like Tracy Lord in a whatever regular movie. And I don't really know if it coincided with a law change or something, but there was definitely more of a liberalization and normalization of pornography. And people started talking about, you know, using it, which was not my experience, like growing up, like the boys I knew did not come out and tell you like what they were using. But nowadays it's kind of, I would say the norm among teenage boys and like the ones who don't use are more the exception. Um, I'm sure you know that the average age of porn exposure, like for a long time, they were saying it was 11. I think they're saying it's dropping to like eight, and nine. I know that my son first stumbled upon a, like a pornographic cartoon when he was five. I happened to be in the room. He was looking up pictures of uh, some Netflix cartoon he'd found called Danny Phantom. He was in the images section of Google and somebody had decided to create, you know, an image of Danny Phantom <laughs> having sex with someone else on the cartoon. And so that was, you know, my kid's first pornographic exposure. I don't think it was particularly traumatic for him. He just started laughing, but I was like, okay, thanks guys. Thanks for that. So, I mean, you know, most of the kids nowadays have seen it. I'd say the majority have seen it. Have you been um, following, the, seen the, it. What? have you been following lately, um, the controversy about what's going on with YouTube and and how uh, they have a lot of uh, really disturbing stuff on there, uh, disturbing cartoons, and also uh, a lot of videos, if you know how to find them, of little kids, uh, little kids, eight years old, doing doing things that, that are uh, designed to be uh, perverse, you know? Maybe the kids aren't aware what they're doing, but, but it, it's designed, and they have millions of hits. And it, it's so extreme, the behavior on the videos, even though there's no nudity, there's no sex, there's this behavior that YouTube requires you to be 18 to view it. But they got an eight-year-old kid in the video. Are, are you familiar with that? Um, I'm not familiar with exactly what you're talking about, but I did see something um, last night that I shared to one of my Facebook pages about like 
children's cartoons that have graphic images hidden in the middle of them right. that somebody has spliced in because because they think it's you know hilarious to expose children to porn and like I don't really think that this is like I mean of course I blame the pornographers for for the easy access and all they've done to fight against any kind of reasonable restriction because they do fight it every time it comes up but I also blame you know the I'm assuming it's teenagers and young adult males who kind of grew up on the internet porn and just think it's funny to put it into children's cartoons. Now, you and I, having not grown up on internet porn, don't see the humor in that. But we have, I would say, a sizable contingent of young males who find that hilarious. And I think that's obviously troubling. For many reasons, because these are, you know, the future leaders of the country and they don't, they don't see the value in protecting children. They don't see the value in respecting women. Um, so we're in for a, quite a ride. Uh, that's with, that's with, true because if you think experiment, that, that's amazing. If you think about it, the, the leaders of our country we have right now, like Al Franken and, and Harvey Weinstein and uh, uh, Matt Lauer and all these characters out there, Conyers behaving in this way, you know, just bizarre, you know, behavior. Uh, and yeah. they weren't exposed to this kind of porn when they were little. You know, they, they just got exposed to it at the same age I did. They're, they're my age, these people. So what, what do we have to right. look forward to? Right. Um, well, I just thank my lucky stars that I was born in the 70s because mm. if I had to be a young, you know, single heterosexual female right now trying to find a partner, I'd probably have killed myself by now because it's really slim pickings out there. Like for the, for the women who are trying to pair off with a man, I mean, I can come back to that. I can't really explain, you know, how a man of Harvey Weinstein's age came to be what he was. I don't, can't necessarily hang that on porn, but I'm sure he's come across it in his lifetime and some people get more into it than others. Um, One thing that is starting to be talked about, and I saw an article on this uh, on Facebook last night that I think ran in New York magazine was that um, like all these media, powerful media figures who are obviously a little messed up in the way they relate to women are the ones creating our program right? and creating our narratives and creating, you know, our romance comedies and, and whatever, like our horror movies. And, you know, if they don't see women as human, how are they going to be able to create media that reflects that? So we're all swimming in their dysfunction, which, you know, I know, and you know, but not everybody can see it for what it is. And obviously the other corollary to that is all these women who, you know, were chased out of the industry by these horrible experiences. Like you're reading the names and you're like, I've never heard of any of these people. You know, yeah, you've heard of Ashley Judd and Rose McGowan, but all these other names, like who are these women? They never they quit. They were like, I can't do this. So there's just a whole bunch of women that could have been famous, powerful, successful, who just dropped out and, you know, are doing something else now. So that's another law to the culture. Right. The people who are molding our media are, are perverts. And also, too, the people that are shaping our laws in Congress appear to now to be, you know, they're covering up for themselves. It's not coming out as widely as these Hollywood stuff is, but they're perverts as well. Well, do you want to hear something like that, super controversial that I'm really glad that, you know, 
uh, not using their real name, is this actually came up in a graduate class I'm taking on, on cultural diversity for a degree. Um, we talked about, you know, the African-American experience in America and the origins of everything we're seeing now. And I raised my hand and said, you know, no one ever talks about the fact that Thomas Jefferson was a rapist mm. because like he had children with a slave. Okay. Maybe he liked her, maybe she liked him, but there's no consensual sexual relationship between property and master. She cannot say no to sex with her owner. So, you know, legally this power differential is such that it's rape. And we have, you know, one of the founding fathers, framers of our constitution, writer of the Declaration of Independence, who thought, you know, this is okay behavior. And I'm not saying we throw out the constitution, but you just have to realize that when they wrote these documents, they were not thinking of certain people and not, uh, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. They didn't think women were people. They didn't think blacks were people. They thought, you know, white male landowners were the ones who counted. So you can kind of extrapolate that our whole system of laws is set up to kind of reinforce these ideas. Now, obviously, I don't go around in public saying Thomas Jefferson was a rapist. People get upset about that kind of thing. But I don't see any other way to look at it. So that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, well, it's a shame that more people don't look at it that way. But now, what what shaped your what shaped your life that brought you to where you are today? Was this were you brought up in the church, or was it just something something in your inner heart, your instinct? What brought you to this point? Oh no, no, no! I'm I'm an atheist, so it's really not a religious thing. Okay. Um, if I had to say, like I've been a feminist since I was 15, when I read a book by Susan Brown Miller called Femininity, I read it in the back of chemistry class instead of you know listening to chemistry. Yeah, you're to be doing your homework. <laughs> I didn't do real well in chemistry, but you know, it worked out. Um, I found that I, honestly, for me, I would say being sexually harassed by the boys in my high school was kind of my awakening and the way they were treating me um, was what got me angry. And then I ended up living in New York for a little while and there's a tremendous amount of street harassment that happens on the streets of New York. You really can't walk down the street without strangers talking yeah. about your body and so forth. So that got me even more angry. And I started formulating like responses in my head, which I then turned into t-shirt slogans. And then I ran a you know, feminist t-shirt business for a number of years. Um, and the answer porn, I guess, I just, I don't know. I just always had an issue with pornography. Um, I always felt like... It was not a true representation of women in their lives. And that I felt like some of the men and boys I knew were treating me as if I was in one of their videos. And to, actually, I had two boys in high school tell me, you look like this girl in this porno we were watching over the weekend. You look just like her. And so they started calling me that person's nickname. So that kind of thing, that kind of experience, I guess, set me down this path. Yeah, you know, it's uh, for for especially for young teen girls, preteen, teenage girls, just just at that age anyway, no matter what, you think the whole world's staring at you, you know? I have a teenage daughter, my daughter's 17. And, and you think the whole world revolves around you. you know, everything, every eye, every little pimple you have, everybody everybody notices it. So you're already getting too much attention. Yeah, yeah it's just so to get that kind that's of, a, I, yeah. That's like, a, that's actually a developmental phase. Right. And, uh, called invisible audience, but it's funny, yeah, because it's supposed to pass, 
it's supposed to be like a preteen phase where you think everyone's watching you and they're like watching you and your family and thinking how weird your mother looks or whatever. And right. like that. And my son is kind of in that phase right now, but it's supposed to pass. But now that we have like Instagram, <laughs> there really is an audience at all times. Like, and any mistake you make, you fall down at school, you, you know, whatever, throw up at school, like somebody's going to get it on video and put it on Facebook. They don't use Facebook anymore. Put it on Snapchat or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for the teenage girls who have to deal with that. Yeah, I, I think but these yeah. iPhones, uh, the, these iPhones, we're going to see the real damage it's, it's doing to our society uh, in 10, 15 years from now, because I don't carry one. You know, my kid does. Uh, but I, I, this is not healthy for us to be staring at these phones at 24 hours a day. Yeah. Well, that's, that's obviously another whole topic. Yeah. And I, we're happy to talk about that too. But um, yeah, like the research is coming in and there, I don't think there's any, there's not tons of research because there's just not enough time. Like for, you know, there's a study on Facebook and how it makes you feel about yourself. Kids don't use Facebook anymore. Now they have to do a study on Instagram. So the research has to adapt with the changing of technology and it's slow. Um, but there, as far as I know, there's no research that says kids are healthier, happier, more well-adjusted due to technology. <laughs> like, I haven't seen that study yet. I think the depression and anxiety is through the roof. Yeah. Um, suicide rates are up, particularly in early teenage girls. Um, obviously, sexting, which the kids don't call it sexting. They call it sending nudes. But that's like a driver of suicide among girls. Mm. As far as I know. There haven't, I don't know of any suicide attempts for boys who are involved in sexting. It's because when a boy sends a picture of his penis, it gets spread around. He doesn't seem to feel the shame of that and the ostracism that a girl would face if her picture got passed around. Um, there's been multiple suicides of girls due to pictures being shared of them. You look at Audrey Pot, you look at, um, I forget the other girl's name. Uh, I personally know a girl who, recently uh, was admitted to the hospital because a picture she had taken a year ago surfaced and got back to her boyfriend. So that's, you know, that's where the, the technology and the pornography collide. Um, talk about, you know, a perfect storm, yeah. basically. It, who would have thought 15 years ago that children would be making pornography of themselves and distributing it? We didn't, you know, obviously you and I did not have the means to do that. I used to say this to to kids I worked with, like if I wanted to distribute a naked picture of myself, I'd have to take it, bring the film down to CVS, ask for doubles, and go around passing them out. Yeah. And they laugh, you know. They're like, oh, that's crazy. Who goes to CVS for pictures? But, um, you know, the technology is there. We've, we've kind of handed kids these devices that, if used improperly, could change the outcome of their life. And they've got these adolescent brains that don't think things through. So, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Okay, well then, then and you got a culture of wash and pornography that tells girls, this is how you get status. This is how you get boys. Yeah. Getting a boy is the most important thing you can achieve in life. So what do you think is going to happen? But then what about, what about the other end of the argument is that, well, it's free speech. It's the First Amendment. We have to be allowed free speech. It's expression. Uh, what's um, the solution? Well, I've never really tried to address pornography illegally. Um, there are groups that will do that. There's a group called the National Center on Sexual Exploitation that tries to use existing obscenity law to work on things. 
I am not a lawyer. I'm not going to hire a lawyer. Like I don't have the means to do that. Anytime there's been any kind of challenge to pornography, their lobby, which is very well funded, as you can imagine, they're called the Free Speech Coalition. They go all out to, to beat it back and they, they win. So we have a pretty, you know, the, the, the Supreme Court has decided that pornography equals speech. And therefore, you know, any attempts to regulate it are regulating free speech. I don't personally agree that everything that falls under pornography is a valid form of speech. Like free speech is not an absolute, you know, you, there's like all these exceptions. You can't, everyone, you know, talks about, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, but like nobody does that anyway, but you can't give legal advice. If you're not a lawyer, you can't um, extort anybody verbally. Like I'm trying to think you can't go into an airport and say, I have a bomb in my bag. Just kidding. And get away with it. So people accept that there's limited speech when it's pornography, they're like, you know, anything goes. But anyway, um, if I had a lot of money, I might get along on that site, but I don't. So what I focus on is like education and educating people through websites, through blogs about like, here's the effects of what this does to your brain. Here's the effects of what this does to your relationship. And it's really not hard to find that evidence. It's all around us. Well, well, then what so are I the focus ne- on educating people so that they will just say, I don't want this in my life anymore. And they will voluntarily give it up, which is more time consuming, but it's more cost effective. Well, well give us some ideas because we only got about 10 minutes left. What are the negative effects of uh, how will it damage my relationship? OK, well, um, uh, so there was some research done in the mid 80s by um, a guy, uh, two guys, uh, Zillman and Bryant. I think Zillman's still alive. Um, but he's old. Um, they did some human experiments where they they had a control group who didn't see the porn. They had like a middle group that saw like a violent movie. And then they had the, whatever you call it, the, the variable group that saw the pornography or the violent pornography. And they gave them like questionnaires before and after. Now, keep in mind that this was 80s pornography, so much less extreme than what we have now. And... Uh, the group that saw the pornography saw only six hours of it. And that was considered in the 80s, massive exposure, six hours. So I'm not going to quote exactly from the study because I don't have it in front of me, but what they found was um, men's attitudes changed. They thought that, you know, rape was less severe a crime when they asked them to estimate like how much should a rapist you know, how much prison time should this particular rapist in this hypothetical scenario get? The men who watched the pornography recommended less severe sentences. They were less satisfied with their female partner's appearance. They uh, were less likely to want to get married or to have children. They overestimated the number of people who were like having sex with animals. <laughs> they thought a lot of people were doing that. Not a lot of people do that. They overestimated like sexual practices that were considered extreme at the time, they overestimate how many people were engaging in those. So Zellman and Bryant concluded that there was this whole range of effects that came from viewing just six hours of pornography. Now, nobody does that kind of research anymore because, first of all, there's no control group. You cannot find a group of men who have not seen six hours of pornography. And also, uh, according to Pamela Paul, who wrote a book called Pornified, you cannot do a new study in which you expose human subjects to a known harmful substance. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we don't expose 
people to cigarette smoke in a controlled setting because we know it's harmful. Gotcha. People can still smoke, but you can't in your lab do it. So they don't do that kind of research anymore because porn was demonstrated in the mid-80s to have irreversible negative effects. This is what Pamela Paul says. I don't actually know where she got this particular fact from, but I trust her because she's a New York Times editor. And I don't think, you know, I'm sure she fact-checked it. So you don't see research like that done anymore because they're not allowed to do it. What you can do is ask people, how much porn do you watch? You know, like, and they can say, like, the men who watch porn every day have this kind of mindset. And the men who watch porn once a month have this other kind of mindset. And they can say, like, the more you watch, the, you know, the more rate myths you accept and so forth. So if that makes any sense, but I don't have, you know, the actual research in front of me. But if people are interested um, in looking this up for themselves, there's a website called Porn Harms. Maybe it's .com, maybe it's .org. There's um, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation that has tons and tons of links. Um, but, you know, people want a link to click on. They want to see it on their screen. And like, Zolman and Bryant do not have a website. They are from the 80s. So their stuff isn't online. But I quote it all the time wherever I can. You know, it's interesting. So, that, so the guys in the study had only watched six hours their entire life? Um, I guess. Because I... I, I I'm not I, sure. like, I just I saw a news. Design. I saw a guy in the news the other day. He was in McDonald's using their Wi-Fi, uh, watching porn for nine hours at one sitting. They had to call the cops. You know. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like the fact is that you can basically watch porn anywhere you like. Like, you know, anywhere you are, you could watch it, and like nobody sees that as a giant red flag that you need to have porn with you wherever you go. Yeah. Like, isn't that an issue that you have maybe an addictive situation happening? I, I don't know. Yeah, when so, I go down to the public library, I got to use the computers down to the public library sometimes. And almost every time you're there, you'll see some guy going through some porn, you know, on, on one of the computers. And, and they know because it's blocked too. And so they know which sites they can get to. There's like a, sites they can trick past the blocking, I guess, to, to get through. Yeah, I knew somebody who was fighting she was fighting the American Library Association for a long time. I lost track of where she was with that. But, you know, the American Library Association has this idea that they don't want to block anyone's content. Oh, it's like not they blocked. Want free speech. Oh, I thought it was blocked. And I don't know. You know, maybe some libraries can differ, but the libraries that she was fighting with, like, right. she would go to the library with her kid, and the, the guy next to her would be watching porn, and she'd complain to the librarians. They're like, yeah, there's nothing we can do. It's our policy that anyone can watch anything because free speech. And she's like, but this is my five-year-old. And they're like, yeah, sorry. Go to another computer. So she was fighting with the American Library Association, who you would think, you know, would be pro-child and so forth, but they had this free speech conflict. So maybe, maybe some libraries take it differently. But it, it's a battle that she was fighting for a while. So I've gotten to know a lot of people who are interested in this aspect or that aspect of the sex industry. I mean, there's many facets. Like, there's people who educate users. There's people who work with the fallout on couples. I know a woman who's, like, specializing in treating couples whose porn addiction is threatening to break up their relationship. Um, there's people who are taking on the industry directly through laws, through enforcing existing obscenity law. There's people who work with um, women exiting the porn industry who are like, they're done, they're broken, they can't, 
they don't want to do it anymore. And then, you know, it's really hard to get a job after that because your whole body's, you know, a consumable good online. So yeah, there's lots of different ways because it's such a huge thing. There's lots of different angles to take. I mostly do like the education of users kind of like, Hey, I know you grew up with this. I know you think it's like your birthright to have this, but it didn't used to be this way. And here's how it could be affecting you. And also like the women that I know who are kind of dealing with these porn addicted partners who are like, is it me? Am I being too demanding? He thinks that, you know, I'm being insecure, but I really hate it. And I try to like, be like, no, you have a right to, to be uncomfortable with it. And nobody else has told them that. So do you actually do seminars? Because you, you seem like you would have the talent to be doing, you know, public uh, speaking things. Um, I have done a little bit, but it's not something you can really make a career out of. Like, I think Gail Dines, who I, I've mentioned before, she's really the only person right now, you know, she can she can make a speech and get paid, you know, to do it. I don't think I'm in that category yet. But I have a blog on Tumblr with like five or 6,000 followers. So, uh, I mean, it's just called anti-porn activist. Mm, that's my tag. There's like a hyphen in there. And it's, if you go on Tumblr, you can find it. So I just post my own content. I reblog other people's content, get in the fights with people and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, but I don't, nobody's asked me to do like a speaking engagement lately. So, of course, I'm always open to offers. Well, we're getting toward the end of the time. So uh, what do you want to leave us with? Give us a little sum summary. You know, and then tell us where people can find you. I know, I know you're kind of hiding out, but how people can find you if they want to, uh, you know, read your material. Okay. Well, um, like I said on Tumblr, I call myself anti-porn activist. Um, I used to do more actions before I had two kids, but you know, so some of my old stuff is archived there. Some of the things that I've been able to achieve. Um, I would say to parents, if they're listening, like, unfortunately, even if you're house is all locked down with your media and you have filters on everything like your kid has either seen porn on a friend's phone or he's gonna see it your daughters are gonna see it it's gonna happen on the bus like somebody's gonna be passing around a phone on the bus these kids all have smartphones now we you know you don't know what other parents have put in place on the filters and i hear horror stories of of how kids' demeanor changed because they spent the whole weekend looking at like mm. rape porn and they were never, you know, they were traumatized by it. So you got to have the conversation. It sucks. I did it. I made my kid cry when we had this conversation <laughs> because, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't ready, but he was going to be riding the bus with the big kids. And I wanted to get out in front of it before they showed him something. So you got to have the conversation with your kids and you got to tell them like porn is to sex. Like, um, you know, the Fast and the Furious is to driver's ed. You wouldn't watch the Fast and the Furious and think that's how you drive. Mm. You can't watch porn and think that's how you have sex. Unfortunately, with the lack of sex education in this country, it's not mandated. Kids see porn as sex education, and I think that should frighten all of us. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Yeah, kids just see porn as a sex education. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah, I mean, there's, I don't know anyone personally, but I've heard of, like middle school and high school girls reporting to the ER with like injuries from anal sex okay. because yeah, like obviously that wasn't an issue when I was in high school and there's a reason it wasn't an issue when I was in high school. Nobody tried to do that. Nobody tried to force that on me. 
nowadays, that is a thing. Um, well, Patty, unfortunately, on, the downer, yeah, on that note, you know, we have to end it. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, yeah, just, You're welcome. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. Okay. And uh, if anything comes up, uh, give us a call and we'll put you right on air. All right. Thanks so much. Good night. Then we had a, a Patty Valentine. And uh, as you heard, she's a part of the, the Anti-Porn Activist Network. So you can catch her there. If you enjoyed the show, check out the Opperman Report uh, member section. By the way, I closed up the leaks. Guys, so no more uh, people getting the member section shows for free. Okay, I figured out how uh, to prevent that. So if you want, if you want that content, you become addicted to. You got to, you have to become a member now. You go to oppermanreport.com. You have to cough up some dough, and uh, you can become a member. And, uh, and you won't feel guilty when you watch it anymore, too, because it's a paid uh, subscription. Uh, good night, guys.